So we're in the midst of a series looking at how to live wisely in God's world. And so that brings us to the book of Proverbs, the manual of God's wisdom for how to live carefully and prudently in his world. And so we're going to be at Proverbs chapter 3, verses 11 and 12 this morning. So we're looking at a a small text, but a, a big theme in the book of Proverbs. So you can see in your bulletin on page 7 there, I printed a number of other places in Proverbs where it kind of picks up on this theme that we have in our text here to show us that uh, although with a small passage here, this theme is kind of woven throughout the book uh, as a whole. So I'm going to read Proverbs 3, uh, 11 and 12 for us. So hear the word of the Lord. So the father speaking to his son as he's teaching him, he said, My son, do not despise the Lord's discipline or be weary of his reproof. For the Lord reproves him whom he loves as a father, the son in whom he delights. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, as we come to your word this morning, as we hear about your loving discipline, your correction, your reproof, your training of us, Lord, give us tender, pliable, teachable hearts that we might hear your wisdom and live in light of it. Lord, remove any calluses that might be in our hearts, any resistance to you that might be in our wills, and Lord, make us your humble children who submit to your loving leadership of us. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. I want to start this morning by giving you a pop quiz. Okay, It's multiple choice. And here's the question of the pop quiz. What does the love of a parent look like toward their children? So so kids, if you're listening, what what does love from your parents look like towards you? So here's, here's the multiple choice. So A, a parent who loves their children will let them eat all of their Halloween candy in one sitting, right? That's love, right? Or B, a parent who loves their children will say yes to every request they make while walking around Costco, okay? Or C, a parent who truly loves their children will always come up with an explanation to excuse and justify their child's behavior and never hold them responsible for it. Or D, a parent who loves their children will do everything at all cost to never utter the words no and always utter the words yes. Or E, a parent who loves their children will take seriously every complaint their child makes and apologize profusely for ever even having considered asking them to take responsibility around the home a.k.a. do a chore. Or F, a parent who loves their children will discipline them when they disobey, correct them when they are wrong, and train them where they are immature. I hope you understand that that is a very easy pop quiz for you. But as children, formally or presently, if we are being honest, we wish the correct answer to that quiz was all of the above except for the last one. There was something in our childish hearts, presently or formerly, which said, I wish it was all of the above with the exception of the last one. But any former child who has grown up, gained some life perspective and experience, knows that the correct answer is only the last one. And all the other options are not expressions of love. They're expressions of negligence and abdication of parental responsibility. We have a name for children who are parented according to options A through E in that quiz. We call them a terror to society, or their more technical name, millennials, okay? (laughs) 
Now, I can say that because I am a millennial. So the famous author, Mark Twain, he wrote uh, Tom Sawyer, Huckleberry Finn. He said this. He said, when I was 14, I thought my father the harshest, most ignorant man I knew. But when I turned 21, I was amazed at how much I had taught my father in seven years' time. (laughs) The humorous point that Mark Twain was making, that it was not really his father who had grown in wisdom as much as he himself had grown to see the wisdom and what his father was up to all those years he thought him harsh and foolish. What he previously viewed as harsh, life taught him was necessary discipline. What he previously viewed as, as ignorance, that he just doesn't really understand, he later understood to be necessary wisdom that he was teaching to prepare him for what life would offer him. And this brings me to the point of our text and the theme that flows throughout the rest of the book of Proverbs. The father who is teaching his son here, remember in the format of the book of Proverbs, we're overhearing an Israelite father in the living room teaching his son, this is how the world works. This is how you're to live wisely in God's world. The father is telling his son how much and in what way the heavenly father loves his own dear children. How much does our heavenly father love his dear children? He loves his dear children so much that he refuses to leave them to themselves. He loves them so much that he loves them as they are, but he loves them so much that he disciplines them when they stray, he corrects them when they are wrong, and he trains them where they're immature. Yes, God loves us as we are, but he loves us so much that he will not leave us as we are. He will correct us, he will train us, he will discipline us. One author has referred to this as the uncomfortable grace of God. It's uncomfortable because God at various times and in various ways brings us to things and through things that we would have never planned to go through. It was never on our wish list. And yet, it's grace because God, in bringing us to and through those things, works in us and on us in ways that we would have never been worked in and worked on had we otherwise not gone through those things. So it's uncomfortable, and yet it's grace. And so the countercultural, kind of not of this world logic from this text is this, because the Lord loves us, he disciplines us, he corrects us, and he trains us for our good. And so the call from this text today is this, If you would build a life of wisdom, if you would be wise, you must learn the lessons of your Lord's loving discipline in your life. If you would be wise, you must learn the lessons that the Lord is teaching you when he lovingly disciplines you. So what are those lessons? Well, we're going to go over four of them. The first lesson is this. The first lessons of the Lord's loving discipline for us is that he is teaching us that we need it. The first lesson is is to know that you need his discipline. So you can see this, this theme of discipline or reproof or correction, it's, it's all the same word, referring to, it's different words referring to the same thing. It shows up frequently and regularly throughout the book of Proverbs. That's why I included it here on page seven of your bulletin to show you that this, this is no minor theme. This is no minor chord. This is a major chord struck in the book of wisdom. And in this theme of the book of wisdom, there are two people who represent the two contrasting ways that we can respond to God's reproof and correction of us. The first, we'll call him Mr. Stiffneck, okay? Mr. Stiffneck is in Proverbs 29.1. You can see that in the very bottom of page seven of your bulletin. It says this, he who is often reproved or corrected 
yet stiffens his neck will suddenly be destroyed without remedy or be broken beyond healing. And the, the image of a stiff neck comes from the world of farming. So in the farming world, which is very common at this time that this book is being written, they would use oxen to plow their fields. And as the oxen were going and plowing the fields, they would often deviate in the wrong direction. They would, they would kind of plow too far to the left or too far to the right. And so the field hand that was working with the oxen, when they would get off course, would poke them and prod them in the neck to get them to turn. If they, if they were going too far left, they would poke them on the left to get them to turn right or vice versa on the other side. And yet oxen are like humans in many ways. They're very stubborn. And so the oxen would stiffen their neck and they would continue straight down the wrong path that they were going on. And so these farmhands saw this and they said, you know, that oxen is a lot like my friend, you know, Joe or Jane. And so it became this term to refer to anyone who is going the wrong direction, who is called out to correct or who come back, don't go that way. And yet says, you know what? I like the direction I'm going. Leave me alone. I don't want to hear it. They were referred to as stiff-necked in heart. And so those who need correction and yet refuse to acknowledge and maintain their current course of foolishness, Proverbs saying, there is stiff-necked as a dumb ox who will not listen to the direction he's supposed to go. Mr. Stiff-necked does not listen to correction because he is too busy saying, I know, I know, I know, I know better. I don't need to listen. And really, when you hear that phrase, you hear it over and over again, I know, I know, when you realize like, but you don't know. What they really mean is not that I know, but what they really mean is I don't care, I don't care, I don't care. That's Mr. Stiffneck. The other character, representing the other response to correction reproof, is Mr. Open Ears. Look at Proverbs 15:31. The ear that listens to life-giving reproof or correction will dwell among the wise. So Mr. Stiffneck and Mr. Open Ears have one thing in common. They both need correction. The difference between the two is one knows that they need it and the other refuses to acknowledge that fact. Mr. Open Ears needs correction and is aware of it so his ears are open to it whenever it comes to him. Now perhaps you've heard the modern proverb, God gave us one mouth and two ears so that we do more listening and less talking. Proverbs assumes that all of us need correction and reproof in some shape or form. But the question that Proverbs forces us to ask is when that correction comes that you need, do you stiffen your neck or do you open your ears to it? And oh, how we need open ears to the Lord's loving correction. Why? Because we are prone to wander from the path of wisdom. The path of wisdom, as the Bible lays out, is a narrow path, one that is easily strayed from. And we are often wandering from it. Who here, with any life experience, would admit that their two feet have always been walking one foot in front of the other, always straight on the path of wisdom and never wander from it? That pop quiz is easy as well. The answer is no one. And we also need correction because Mount Wisdom is a mountain that is so high, the summit is so high, that no one will ever get to the point where they can say, I have reached the summit of Mount Wisdom. I do not need to climb any higher. We all need to grow in wisdom, which is why we always need to have open ears to the correction that the Lord gives us. You know, the truest words we have ever sung about ourselves in corporate worship is prone to wander, Lord, I feel it, prone to leave the God I love. Here's my heart, oh, take and seal it, seal it for thy courts above. Well, how does the Lord seal our hearts for him? 
One of the ways he does it is through correction and discipline. And his, his seal of correction and, and shaping of our character impresses itself most clearly on the heart that most knows that it needs to be corrected, that it most knows it, it lacks wisdom and needs to be guided and corrected. So I ask you again, when the Lord comes to you in loving correction, do you stiffen your neck or do you open your ears? Well, the second lesson we need to learn regarding the Lord's loving discipline is how to recognize it when it comes. So in our text in Proverbs 3, 11, and 12, the Father's instruction to the Son assumes that throughout our lives, the Lord is going to be at work diligently, wisely disciplining, correcting, and training us. But the assumption of that demands a question. Well, what form does that take? What does it look like when it comes to us? How can we recognize it? And we need to answer this question because if we fail to answer that question, we could fail to recognize it when it comes. And if we fail to recognize it when it comes, we could miss the lesson that the Lord is teaching us when he does bring it to us. So to recognize the Lord's loving discipline, we have to understand that there are two kinds of discipline that the Lord gives us. And the terms for those are corrective discipline and formative discipline. So on the one hand, there is corrective discipline that the Lord gives us when he says, come back. You've strayed, you've wandered, come back to the way. And then there's formative discipline. Formative discipline is not saying, hey, you've wandered, you've strayed. Formative discipline is saying, hey, you need to grow in this area. I wanna shape you to be wiser, more prudent, more mature in this area. Now, I had the same basketball coach for eight years in, in rec basketball. And my coach, he was a great coach. He was former military, which meant he was very big on discipline. And I was very big on being a hyperactive, hyperenergetic kid who gave him wonderful opportunities to practice his <laughs> gift of discipline. And so he really exercised formative and corrective discipline. So the formative discipline was every practice we had, you didn't just get a goof off and play around. There was drill after drill after drill. We learned to dribble, we learned to pass, we learned to shoot, we learned to run the plays because he was forming in us the skills we needed to be good athletes. That was his way of doing formative discipline. Now on the other hand, during the game, our coach had one very specific rule. He said, when you're running the offense, I, I was a point guard, he said, when you're running the offense, you are not allowed to take a three-point shot until you have run the play at least two times and it hasn't worked. Mm-hmm. Now, I had a big problem with that because shooting three-pointers was what I loved to do best, okay? So I would dribble down the court and I would have at least three inches of room so to take a clear open shot and I would take it. Immediately, he would call a timeout and he would bench me. And he would say, you can go back out on the court when you're ready to listen and be a team player. That was corrective discipline. So formative, the Lord seeking to mature us, to shape us in the the skill of life. Corrective discipline is drawing us back when we wander away and when we stray. So those are the two kinds in mind. Now, what manner does the Lord exercise that corrective and formative discipline? Well, the clearest and most common way is through his word. Through the hearing and reading of his word, God is coming to us to form us and correct us. So when we we go about the discipline of regularly hearing the preaching of his word or regularly sitting under the reading of God's word, whether personally or in community, God is using that word as we study it, as we mine its riches to renew our minds and shape our characters. God is supernaturally working his word in our hearts by shaping us according to what it says and what it teaches And yet, anyone who's read the word for any amount of time knows 
that there have been occasions when you're listening to the word or you're, you're reading it and studying it and the spirit takes something specific from that word and he begins to poke our neck and prod our hearts and say, you've been neglecting this. You've been deviating from this and wandering away from it. Come back, return to the way that the Lord has laid out for you. That's formative and corrective discipline from his word. Another way that Lord administers his discipline is through other people, through faithful servants of his who act as mouthpiece of his corrective wisdom. Think about David. King David had committed great sin, tried to cover it up, committing sin after sin after sin, and he's trying to hide the sin as he harbored it in his own ministry with Bathsheba and with her husband Uriah. Well, what does the Lord do because he loves David? He doesn't leave him alone. He doesn't just let him sit and fester. He sends the prophet Nathan to him to tell him a parable at which David hears the parable and says, whoever did that deserves to die. And then what does Nathan say to him? You are that man. It is the Lord coming to him in love through the mouthpiece of a faithful messenger saying, you stand corrected. Come back, you have strayed, you have wandered away. That's corrective discipline through others, but there's also formative discipline through other people. I'm sure all of us could recount someone who gave us guidance and wisdom in some area of life when we were dealing with some matter and the Lord used that insight, that counsel from that person to shape us to be more mature and more thoughtful, more careful in that area of life. That's formative discipline through other people. Now, a third way that the Lord disciplines us, correctively and formatively, is by sending various trials to us in life. Now, I I have not lived much life. I have limited life experience, but the little I have, I have come to see what many of you seasoned saints know better than I do. Adversity is a far better teacher and trainer than prosperity. Adversity is a far better teacher and shaper of character than prosperity. The Lord does give very good gifts. If you look at Proverbs 3, 1 to 10, which we looked at last week, many good gifts are mentioned there, gifts that we would actually put on our wish list, right? But the same Lord who gives those good gifts of prosperity and plenty is the same Lord who gives hard and difficult gifts like lack and loss and trial and trouble because it is in those difficult gifts that he often does his best work, right? You may have heard this poem, but it's well worth repeating. I walked a mile with pleasure. She chatted all the way, but left me none the wiser for all she had to say. I walked a mile with sorrow and not a word said she, but oh, the things I learned from her when sorrow walked with me. What that's reminding us and teaching us is that it is in adversity that God does a great work, even more so than in prosperity. And they're both his gifts to us. Well, another form of the Lord's discipline that Proverbs particularly highlights, that we need to be aware of, is allowing us to experience the natural consequences of our actions. In the book of Proverbs, what we're seeing over and over again is this type of wisdom often produces this type of result. This type of foolishness often produces this type of result. And the Lord is the one who has designed it to be such, right? As I mentioned last week, God has wisely designed his world in such a way that there are laws of nature, like gravity, that you have to be aware of. And then there are laws of spiritual nature, like what one sows, that will they also reap. God has designed the world in such a way that often, according to his wisdom, our conduct has certain consequences. 
And so at times, the Lord will use formative discipline by showing us that when we act wisely according to his ways, it brings forth a wonderful harvest of fruit in our lives. And in that enjoying that harvest of fruit from wisdom and acting according to wisdom, the Lord is whispering to us, I told you, my ways are best. Follow my ways. But then there are other times when we do not act according to wisdom. And when we live in foolishness and when we reap the famine of foolishness, the Lord is shouting to us, my ways are best. Return to my ways. This is not the way to go. This is what you'll reap if you keep going this way. Now, we need to be careful here. We need to exercise great caution and discernment when it comes to determining what is and what isn't kind of God's particular providential discipline for this or that. We don't want to make the mistake of trying to kind of read every tea leaf of providence and say, ah, see, he's, he's saying this because I see this here. But on the other hand, we don't want to overcorrect the car and make the mistake of saying, you know, God's not teaching me anything. He's not doing anything in this providential circumstance that I'm in. So the better we can understand what the Lord is up to and how he does it, the more wise we'll be to recognizing it when it comes and learning the lesson that he's teaching us in it. Well, the third lesson we need to learn about the Lord's loving discipline is how to properly receive it. Okay, we want to recognize it when it comes, but when it comes, we want to be ready to receive it. When the Lord sends us his providential gift, testing or correcting, it often comes to us like a gift that was not on our wish list. Who puts on their bucket list hard providential circumstances, various trials? I don't know anyone who's put that on their bucket list. Or at times it feels like we ordered filet mignon and au gratin potatoes, and here we have before us life's version of a vegetable salad and butternut squash soup. Now let the record show I would never order those things, okay? So you can fill in the blank with what you would not order, okay? I don't mean to offend anyone who likes butternut squash soup. When the Lord gives us that gift that we didn't wish for and places before us that providential meal that we did not order, we have two options. Either we proudly reject it and push it away, or we humbly receive it and say, this is what the Lord has given me as my portion for right now. To proudly reject it would be to do the very thing that the father warns his son against in verse 11 of chapter 3. He said, my son, do not despise the Lord's discipline or be weary of his reproof. Now, to despise or be weary of the Lord's gift of testing and correcting would be in one sense to harden our hearts against what the Lord has given us, to to push that food away that he has said, this is your portion right now that I'm giving you. And you say, I never asked for this. Why would you give this to me? Someone else needs this. Don't give it to me. Or it would be to grumble and complain to the Lord about it, like the Israelites did over and over again. Everyone else has it so much easier than me. I must be the most unfortunate person who ever lived. Nothing good ever happens to me. And instead of learning, we're complaining. Instead of receiving, we're hardening. In responding this way, we actually commit two faults. We offend the Lord who has designed the gift of his discipline for our good. And in complaining against him and offending him, we fail to receive the good that he has designed it for. That's why it's dangerous. But there's a better way. Humbly receive it. Or as Paul would say later, give thanks in all circumstances. Now, it's very, you have to be clear on how Paul says, give thanks in all circumstances. He doesn't say, give thanks for all circumstances. There's a key distinction. We don't have to pretend as Christians that we like trials and testings. We're not masochists, okay? 
The loss is grievous. The health diagnosis is bitter news. The chronic pain is agonizing. The wayward child is gut-wrenching. And we don't have to pretend otherwise. But at the same time, amidst those circumstances, we must look up and to the one who rules and overrules our circumstances for our good. And we must humbly and meekly say, Lord, I did not wish for this. This is not what I would have ordered. But I know your ways are best. So help me to bear this and learn from it. Behind a frowning providence, he hides a smiling face. The bud may have a bitter taste, but sweet will be the flower. So we say, Lord, I, I didn't order this, but you, but I know you have. So teach me what you want me to learn and mold me in what you want me to be. There's a good illustration about this. There was an old seasoned farmer who had a weather vane on the roof of his barn. So if you don't know what a weather vane is, it's a little thing that blows wherever the wind kind of goes. And imprinted on that weather vane in large, clear letters was the statement, God is good. So he's got the weather vane with the statement, God is good, big letters. And so one day a pastor came to visit that farmer and he noticed the weather vane and its message. And this pastor, you have to know, was a persnickety Presbyterian pastor, okay? (laughs) And so he said to that man, with the weather vane, he said, I don't like that weather vane at all. It misrepresents God's character. God's goodness does not shift and change like the wind. How can you have that weather vane up there? To which the farmer replied, you have misinterpreted its significance and meaning. That message on the weather vane is to remind me that no matter which way the wind is blowing, no matter which direction the storm come from, and now no matter whether that barn is full of grain or empty, God is good always, all the time. To which the pastor said, amen. He set the record straight. That's how we receive God's good, loving discipline. Now, the last and the most important lesson we need regarding the Lord's loving discipline is how to perceive it. So how do we receive it and how do we perceive it? In other words, when the Lord brings us to and through difficult circumstances, trials, corrects us, tests us, how should we view what he's up to? How should we understand his heart toward us in that circumstance that he's brought us to. And here's why this point is critical. It is so easy for us to look at a negative, difficult circumstance, and then from that negative, difficult circumstance, draw negative, distorted conclusions about what God is doing with us and what his heart is like toward us. We could say things like, you know, this must be happening to me because the Lord is angry with me. Or, you know, I must be going through this because the Lord is finally giving me what I deserve for doing that. Or this is happening because God is judging me because I, and then fill in the blank. Those are false and improper conclusions. Because listen to what the father tells his son in verse 12. Don't despise the Lord's discipline or be weary of his proof. Why? For the Lord reproves him whom he loves. As a father, the son in whom he delights. The correcting, testing, training, disciplining of the Lord is not proof of the absence of his love. It is the proof of the presence of his love for his dear children. And in many ways, that's hard for us to stomach because we live in a day and time where the logical syllogism of a parent loves their child is therefore they don't discipline them. That's not true. That's not biblical. A parent who loves their child will not leave a child to themselves. And that's how the father treats us. So when God corrects us, when he disciplines us, when he trains us, 
It is not his judgment spilling upon us. It is his heart spilling over to us, shaping us, forming us, correcting us, drawing us back because he gives uncomfortable grace. He gives severe mercy. He gives tough love. If the Lord did not love us, he would leave us in our stiff-neckedness. He would leave us to wander our own way. But the Lord loves us too much to leave us as we are, so he disciplines us to mold us and shape us into what we otherwise would not have been had he not done that for us. We need to see his discipline through the lens of the cross of Christ. You have to view how God deals with us in our providential circumstances through the lens of the cross of Christ. God never deals with us in anger. Why? Because all the righteous anger that our sins deserve was already born by Christ. And now God loves us and pursues us with an everlasting, unrelenting love, even when he disciplines us. God is not out to punish us as a judge because Christ paid the full penalty for our judgment. It is stamped, paid in full. All of God's dealings with us are only the dealings of a father with a child in whom he delights. God is not after us to give us what we deserve. Christ was already treated as our sins deserved. And so we are now showered with a love that we could never earn. You have to view your circumstances through the lens of the cross of Christ. The Lord's loving discipline needs to be seen through that lens. And therefore, maybe these metaphors will help you understand it better. These are some metaphors the Bible uses for how the Lord disciplines us and why he does it. That pruning we feel at times in life is because the master gardener cares for every branch attached to his vine and he will see to it that it bears much fruit. Or the pain of the chisel and scraping we feel at times is because the master artist is hard at work on his masterpiece and he will see to it that his artwork is a reflection of his artistry when it's done. And the heat that we feel from life's trials is because the master goldsmith is hard at work making sure every single piece of dross and defilement is consumed and that gold is refined and that it sparkles. That is what God is up to when he corrects us and he disciplines us. May God write these lessons of his loving discipline on our heart. Let's pray. Our gracious God and loving Heavenly Father, we acknowledge that we often struggle when looking at our circumstances. And when they're not positive, when they're not peaceful, when they're not prosperous, we often think maybe you don't love us. We struggle to acknowledge even our sonship, that we are your children. And it will remind us that you are a father who loves us so much. You refuse to leave us to ourselves. You refuse to leave us just as we are. You seek to make us into the image of your son. And so that often comes through the difficult gift of your loving discipline. Lord, help us to be tender-hearted toward it, to receive it humbly, and to learn from it wisely. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, we're going to turn to page 9 and 10 of our bulletin. We're going to sing a song. It was written by a woman who knew how to deal with and handle the Lord's loving discipline and wrote this in a form of a prayer for us. Let's stand together. Page 9 and 10, let's sing more love to thee, O Christ. <laughs>